So reading from Proverbs chapter 23, verse 19 to 35. Listen, my son, and be wise, and keep your heart on the right path. Do not join those who drink too much wine or gorge themselves on meat, for drunkards and gluttons become poor, and drowsiness clothes them in rags. Listen to your father who gave you life, and do not despise your mother when she is old. Buy the truth and do not sell it. Get wisdom, discipline, and understanding. The father of a righteous man has great joy. He who has a wise son delights in him. May your father and mother be glad. May she who gave you birth rejoice. My son, give me your heart and let your eyes keep to my ways. For a prostitute is a deep pit, and a wayward wife is a narrow well. Like a bandit, she lies in wait and multiplies the unfaithful among men. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaints? Who has needless bruises? Who has bloodshot eyes? Those who linger over wine, who go to sample bowls of mixed wine. Do not gaze at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a snake and poisons like a viper. Your eyes will see strange sights and your mind imagine confusing things. You will be like one sleeping on the high seas, lying on top of the rigging. They hit me, you will say, but I'm not hurt. They beat me, but I don't feel it. So when, so when will I wake up so I can find another drink? This is the word of the Lord. Father, we pray now that you would settle our minds and our hearts and make us responsive to your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, the advertising industry uh, understands the power of association. Uh, to associate uh, their product with something else which is desirable, uh, like uh, sex or sport, or in Australia that most desirable of attributes, mateship. So if a TV ad were to combine sex, sport and mateship, then we wouldn't be surprised if the product that they're selling is beer. Uh, in fact, there was a campaign some years ago which was called What Mates Do, where a variety of scenarios were, were portrayed which depicted men doing a favour for a mate, a favour which uh, put their mate in an awkward uh, situation uh, involving a woman and something immoral and having a good laugh because that's what mates do as they down another beer. There are, of course, other images which we could associate with alcohol. Um, how about road deaths or violence or domestic abuse? What about unemployment, poverty, broken families, homelessness, cirrhosis of the liver, and so on. Uh, these are images which probably don't sell beer uh, quite as readily. Uh, 
Yet this connection with, on the one hand, uh, irresponsible mateship and, on the other hand, um, alcohol abuse, it, it doesn't tell the whole story, does it? Uh, because for many people, beer and wine are just a normal part of life. Um, drinks to be enjoyed appropriately, perhaps over a meal uh, with a friend or two. And these are the people whom the advertisers are probably not targeting uh, when they associate beer with, um, uh, with irresponsible mateship, uh, with sex and with uh, sport. Although I've noticed the, the sport that they associate beer with in ads tends these days just to be uh, a few blokes on a tinny who don't know how to fish. Now, as Christians, we can have mixed feelings about alcohol, can't we? And Christians hold various views about alcohol. And so it's an area in which we need wisdom, uh, which is why it's a topic which, is, which comes up in the book of Proverbs, especially as a father gives advice to his son. What I want to do is I want us to look more generally at what the Bible says about alcohol, um, some of the positive things about alcohol, and then to look at the uh, book of Proverbs, and then finally today to draw out some um, consequences or some specifically Christian um, implications and applications. Now, years ago, there was a uh, wine ad campaign uh, which um, made a connection with the Bible. And it told us that Dr. Lindemann gave us wine to make our hearts glad. Now, some of you may be old enough to remember that one. It's actually a misquote from um, Psalm 104, verses 14 and 15, which ascribes the credit uh, not to Dr. Lindemann, but to someone else. Let me read it for you. It says, He makes grass grow for cattle and plants for man to cultivate, bringing forth food from the earth, wine that gladdens the heart of man, oil to make his face to shine, and bread that sustains his heart. So who gives us uh, wine to gladden our hearts? Who gives it? God does. Uh, now, in Israel, the uh, landscape and the climate is good for um, growing um, grapevines, as it's also good for growing wheat and corn. And so in the Bible, the, the abundance of wine and grain is uh, a symbol of God's blessing. It's a symbol of God's provision of food and, and wine and the good things of life. Uh, we see this throughout the Old Testament. Um, for example, when Isaac gave Jacob his blessing, uh, listen to what he said to Jacob. He said, May God give you of heaven's dew and earth's riches an abundance of grain and new wine. Actually, wished God would give him wine. He blessed him with that. Um, when Melchizedek uh, blessed Abram, he did so with bread and with wine. Um, in Exodus chapter 29, God, we're told, accepted wine as an acceptable sacrifice uh, at his altar, along with meat, bread and oil. Uh, wine was a staple in Israel's diet, and uh, uh, the Bible clearly depicts it as being a gift from God. 
The same can be seen in the New Testament, <clears throat> classically in John chapter 2, when the wine ran out at the wedding in Cana of Galilee. Uh, Jesus miraculously replenished the supply uh, with, um, in, uh, in bountiful amounts, somewhere between 120 and 150, 180 gallons of wine. And the verdict on the wine that it was that it was a pretty good drop. Uh, in, 1 in 1 Timothy chapter 5, uh, Paul exhorts Timothy to drink a little wine because of, his of its medicinal properties. Stop drinking only water, he says, and use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. Uh, my doctor once prescribed for me a glass of red wine every day because of its positive um, cholesterol value. I haven't taken him up on that, um, but uh, uh, acknowledging the same thing. Now, some people say that uh, all of this must refer to non-alcoholic wine, um, grapefruit, grape juice that um, has not yet been fermented. It's actually not what the words in the Bible mean. Um, the words in the Bible where it's talking about wine is actually talking about wine. There are uh, cases in the Bible where it talks about grape juice and uh, never applies the terms for wine uh, in that situation, uh, such as in Genesis chapter 40, verse 11. And so wine is a good gift from God. It's given for our benefit and for our enjoyment. Yet the Bible has a lot to say about the abuse of alcohol and its terrible consequences. And so we come to the passage today, which is Proverbs chapter 23, verses 19 through to 35, which you might want to have open in front of you. Uh, one advertising firm that I read appraised uh, its own ad campaign uh, which connected beer and mateship uh, by saying, and I quote, these ads show just how those bonds of mateship are created and then cemented over, a f over an icy cold, their particular brand of beer. Now, I guess there's a tiny grain of truth in that, perhaps. But what they do is they exploit. Uh, they exploit our human desire for acceptance, our desire for fellowship and even our desire for comfort and they do so for the sake of their own profits. Whereas in Proverbs, uh, the father has better advice for his son. We see this in uh, verse 19 of chapter 23. I'll read that. Listen, my son, and be wise... And keep your heart on the right path. Do not join those who drink too much wine or gorge themselves on meat. For drunkards and gluttons become poor and drowsiness clothes them in rags. See that the connection there with gluttony as well. It's slightly different, maybe a topic for another sermon uh, on gluttony. Now, I understand having just raised a couple of teenagers who became adolescents and are now young adults, that um, from what they've talked to me about their uh, experience in their peer groups and so on, is that uh, young people often start drinking 
initially for the sake of uh, social acceptance, to be cool and to be accepted in the social group. Uh, that uh, soon uh, develops to a, uh, to a need to drink in order to relax, uh, in order to be truly themselves and to be able to relate properly uh, in the social group. So that the alcohol then becomes a key component uh, in any social event. Uh, you can't do a social event without alcohol. It becomes key. And they do not understand the trap into which they are walking. Now, as we've talked about in terms of wisdom, wisdom uh, differs from law in so much that wisdom helps us to see the path ahead. It helps us to see around the corner. It helps us to see consequences. And here we see those consequences. Firstly, in verse 21, that drunkenness and poverty are connected. Um, the uh, papers I've read on this topic tell me that um, when people drink alcohol appropriately, there may be no negative consequences. There may be some benefits. However, when drinking is essential to mateship, then what happens is people drink too much because it's a key component in the relationship. And when people drink too much, Dependency often develops, which leads and is all bound up with cravings because chemistry is being changed. And those cravings need to be satisfied and those cravings therefore need and lead to greater consumption. And the greater consumption leads to greater dependency, greater cravings, so that it's a downward spiral. And over time, the need to satisfy the cravings overrides a lot of other stuff in life. It overrides other priorities and other important things, aspects of life so that relationships suffer. As does, and it's the point that's being made here, uh, the person's ability to get to work each day and to commit themselves to being productive. Secondly, there is a connection between drunkenness and violence. Um, Proverbs chapter 20 verse 1 uh, says that wine is a mocker and beer is a brawler. Um, there crime statistics in Australia tell us that if you want to avoid getting bashed up, then a pretty simple strategy is to stay away from pubs because the huge percentage of uh, crime happens within a certain um, <coughs> radius of pubs, particularly after certain hours. Now, they may not have had pubs in ancient Israel, but we see in verse 29 that the issues were the same. Have a look at it. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? who has complaints, who has needless bruises, who has bloodshot eyes. Those who linger over wine, who go to sample bowls of mixed wine, um, it's them. 
They are the ones. And so it's connected with violence. It's connected with actually being beaten up. Then thirdly, the connection between drunkenness and sickness is obvious. Verse 31. Do not gaze at wine when it's red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly. In, in the end, it bites like a snake and, the, and poisons like a viper. Your eyes will see strange sights and your mind imagine confusing things. You'll be like one sleeping on the high seas, lying on top of the rigging. They hit me, you say, but I'm not hurt. They beat me, but I don't feel it. And when will I wake up so I can find another drink? I <clears throat> the advertising industry gives us a lot of material for this topic. I remember an appalling ad when a man's uh, been out partying and now he's uh, at home in bed um, with a woman next to him. They're asleep and even while he's asleep, he still needs a drink. And so his tongue disconnects itself from his mouth and crawls out of the bed, crawls out of the house, crawls through the streets, gets back to the party, crawls into the tub with the ice and the beer in it and wraps itself around a bottle and takes it back to the sleeping man and inserts it in his mouth so he can suck on it while he's sleeping. I, I read the reviews on this ad in the advertising uh, websites and they, they lauded it as a stroke of genius, absolute masterpiece. Understand that the nature of the addiction means that a drink is often needed first thing in the morning to deal with the withdrawal symptoms from the heavy drinking the night before. A guy in the first service uh, who's come through alcoholism um, <clears throat> said to me uh, today, he said, that's called, it's called biting the snake that bit you the night before. <laughs> uh, and... Uh, He'd experienced that. That was his life uh, for a long time, but he now doesn't have those cravings. And he has a beer once a week after playing bowls. There's no problem to him. Um, he also told me that on his 18th birthday that his father, uh, instead of giving him a slab for his um, present, which a lot of parents do, believe it or not, they give their kids a slab for their 18th birthday present, his dad took him down to the local pub just to make the introductions uh, between uh, his son and the publican, uh, in which the publican said, I've known him for ages, he's been drinking here for years. <laughs> um, anyway. But that's the nature of the addiction. So what we see here is that there are two aspects to the Bible's teaching on alcohol. Uh, on the one hand, it is a gift from God uh, to be used appropriately, like many other good things, um, such as sex we dealt with uh, recently. Uh, on the other hand, uh, when it is abused, it leads to serious consequences, uh, which we also saw in relation to sex. So how then do we hold these two um, aspects uh, in intention? 
some Christians have taken the view that abstinence from alcohol is the only godly view to hold. And when we consider the consequences and the damage that's been uh, done in people's lives, we can see that uh, this, this view just doesn't arise out of wowserism. You know, uh, they just don't like seeing other people having a good time. Uh, no, it can stem from a godly concern for uh, people's well-being and for the well-being of society. However, uh, as I've suggested, I don't think it actually gives due regard to what the Bible says about wine being a gift from God. And it therefore creates a law that the Bible doesn't create when instead what is needed is, is wisdom. Uh, for it's not the use of alcohol which is sinful, uh, it's the abuse of alcohol which is sinful. And therefore what is needed is wisdom. Uh, wisdom firstly, uh, in the decision of whether or not to drink, and secondly, uh, if we are to drink, how do we do so in a way which is wise and responsible? And what difference does the gospel of Jesus make? I think the important principle in this regard is what is sometimes referred to as Christian liberty. Uh, in relation to alcohol, what liberty do we have as Christians? Well, uh, given that wine's a gift from God, then we are at liberty to drink alcohol. We're at liberty to do so, but what we are not at liberty to do is to abuse alcohol. Um, for, for example, uh, the Apostle Paul, who, as I mentioned earlier, he actually exhorted Timothy to take some wine, uh, also in Ephesians chapter 5, uh, says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Uh, instead, says Paul, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, or in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3, uh, where someone is precluded from church leadership uh, if they are a person who is given to drunkenness. And what we see in uh, passages like 1 Timothy 3, which talk about the qualities of leaders, uh, except for the ability to teach, they're all qualities that should apply to all Christians. It's saying that leaders need to be exemplary, to be models in this regard, and therefore they are not to be given to drunkenness. So we are at liberty to drink, but not to get drunk. Christian liberty also means that um, although we have the the right to drink, that we are also at liberty to choose to not drink, when, to, when for us to drink would be unhelpful to another person. As passages that deal with this in uh, 1 Corinthians 8, 9 and 10, and also in uh, Romans chapter 14, uh, where uh, in the church in Rome that there are various... Uh, issues where uh, things which Christians differed on in terms of practice. 
Um, some Christians believe that it, um, it's not right to eat certain meats, particularly meats that have been offered up um, to idols. Whereas some Christians will say, no, it's okay because those idols, they're not real. It's just meat. It's a gift from God. Um, some Christians believe that it's, uh, there are certain days that are holy days, special days. And others will say, well, no, we're actually living in the Sabbath uh, now. So there's no day that's any more special than others. Uh, some Christians have taken the view that um, uh, they don't uh, think that it's right to drink alcohol others looking at the bible saying well no actually it's a gift from god so these are areas where christians differ and uh, it's not saying that no one's right or that they're both right uh, one can be right and the other one wrong uh, but these are not issues that we would would divide over uh, these are secondary issues that we would not divide over uh, nor would we uh, judge one another over but uh, thirdly, we need to actually be, um, have a certain respect for the other person's position uh, because we might actually act in a way uh, that could cause a problem for them. Let me illustrate this. Uh, I may enjoy the occasional glass of wine or, or beer, uh, which I do. But if I'm with, with, with someone, if I'm with a, a brother or sister who believes uh, in their heart that it is wrong to drink alcohol, then Christian liberty means that I am at liberty to choose not to drink in their presence. Uh, because to do so uh, may tempt them to have a sip themselves. And for them, because they believe that that would be sinful, although as I've argued, I don't think it is sinful... But if they believe that something is sinful and they do it, then that's actually an act of rebellion or defiance against, what, against God. It's an attitude towards God, which is not right. And so that therefore becomes sin. It's a sinning against their conscience. So Paul says in Romans chapter 14, verse 21, that uh, in that situation that it is better not to eat or drink wine or do anything else that will cause your brother to stumble, to fall, might cause them to sin against their conscience. More commonly for us, I think, is the issue of the brother or sister who struggles with alcohol addiction. Um, they may in the past have been uh, lured uh, because of social pressure, uh, perhaps as a teenager or a young adult or in the work environment where it's just so common to go out for drinks after work, particularly on a Friday and so on. And the, the, the pressure to do so for the sake of social um, acceptance uh, or it might be the, um, that they have sought relief from uh, the stresses, stresses and the pressures and the difficulties of life uh, by drinking. And one thing has led to another. And even though um, they may have been dry for a long time, that the cravings are easily aroused. I suggest that it's hard for us who've not experienced this ourselves to understand just how powerful 
and how controlling those cravings can be. And I might find myself in a social situation where I think, you know, I'd, I'd enjoy a beer at the moment. But if I know or even if I suspect that a brother or sister with me struggles with alcoholism, then I'll settle for a glass of water or an orange juice or Coca-Cola or something like that. That is, I will set aside my own preference for their sake. Knowing that the, uh, just the sight, knowing that the, the aroma uh, may cause a, a terrible chain reaction for them, uh, causing consequences. Uh, Christian liberty means that we are at liberty to serve the other person and to put them first. Uh, some churches I know, um, in their desire to connect well with the culture, uh, run evangelistic events such as uh, a men's beer and prawn night or a wine tasting event and so on. My concern with that is that what does that do for the brother or sister in the church who's um, addicted to alcohol? Uh, it either means that they are precluded from coming to the event or it puts uh, uh, unbearable temptation uh, in front of them. And I suggest that there might be better ways of reaching out than that. Christian liberty means that we put the other person first. Which, as we're reminded in the Lord's Supper later today, uh, that is exactly what Christ has done for us, is it not? That Christ uh, chose to give up his place in heaven, to humble himself and to become a man, to live as an ordinary person amongst us, uh, to suffer and to die on a cross, to be cut off from his father. And this is not something which he necessarily wanted to do. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he bled drops of, uh, uh, drops of uh, he sweated drops of blood as he agonised at this prospect and he prayed and he begged the Father, if there be some other way for this cup to pass from me, but not my will, but yours. So that he went to the cross, he gave up his preferences for our sakes. And so we need to do that for our brothers and our sisters. What mates do? It's a, um, <clears throat> just a slogan to sell beer. But our mateship, our relationships, are built around something which is far more profound. They are built around Christ, uh, Christ's death for us and his resurrection. So, so, so whilst we might enjoy a beer or a wine, uh, we must never depend on it. Not as a basis of fellowship, not as a basis of social acceptance, not as a basis of comfort in times of distress, because that would be to abuse God's gift. And the good news is that each of those needs for fellowship, for acceptance, for comfort, each of those needs are profoundly met 
and ultimately met uh, in Christ and in Christ alone. Sometimes as Christians, uh, we will, in love, need to challenge one another on this. We will, in love, need to help and to care for one another in this. And we will, in love, even make the decision to exercise our liberty to set aside our own preferences for the sake of the other the person for whom Christ died. Because that's what mates do. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for all of your good gifts uh, that um, <clears throat> bring uh, uh, joy to our hearts. Father, we pray that we would be those who do not idolise your creation. Uh, that we do not uh, give it an importance in our lives that is undue and indeed can take your place. Father, we pray for this uh, important issue and we do pray that uh, we would have a right understanding and a right view and that we would act wisely in respect to alcohol. Now, Lord God, we pray uh, for those who have uh, suffered its effects uh, in the past and we pray for those who perhaps are struggling even in the present uh, that you would give strength and peace and comfort and hope uh, in Jesus and help us all as a fellowship of believers to challenge and encourage and hope and, and help one another uh, in this area uh, particularly that we would uh, elect to give up our own preferences for the sake of the other person. And these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.